welcome. We are so glad that you're here. If you are just joining us online, we are so glad that you're able to join us online. And uh, we're just thankful to be here. We're just thankful to be here. Amen? All right, good. You're still with me. God bless you. There are so many people that we are indebted to who help keep things running, particularly when we go through a pandemic which is extended the way that it is. And some of those people, you will never see them, but they put time and effort in, and we're just so thankful for the ministry. And I know that the, the audiovisual team, I know Pastor Charles and Mike Roberts have worked very hard to, to put together a couple of videos uh, to do that. And I wanted to show one of them at this particular time. So if we could just show that before we get into the word this morning. God minister, do something special in our hearts and our lives. Like I said in the prayer, Lord, don't let us remain the same. Continually work to change us, to challenge us. The worst thing that could happen, Father, is we just stayed the same for the rest of our lives when you have so much more for us. So Lord, let there be an anointing uh, on today's service, I pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was supposed to speak this uh, message two weeks ago, and my leg got injured. It's slowly on the mend. Thank you for praying for me. Continue to pray for me. It is such a slow process. Um, but there was a story I was going to tell, and it was almost right on the anniversary, anniversary as to when it had happened. So I'm a little bit over time on the story. But we'll just say October, okay? October was uh, uh, marked a special event in the city of Vancouver 112 years ago. I think it was October the 6th or October the 7th or something like that. Vancouver invested in the very first ambulance in the city. And you think, well, whoop-de-doo. Well, at that time, it was a big deal. It was, it was difficult. Vehicles were just being manufactured at this time, and they invested, I think, four dollars to $5,000 for the best ambulance that they could get. And in today's money, that is well over $100,000. This was a beautiful vehicle. And as they, they got it and get everything prepared, what they thought that they would do is they would send it out on a maiden voyage, and they would just try different maneuvers and stuff like that. And in the process of doing that, driving through downtown, a person stepped in front of the ambulance, died instantly. And the very first trip that the ambulance in Vancouver had to make was to the morgue. And it seems kind of weird that a vehicle that was dedicated to saving lives creates casualties. And I can't help but think, as I read that story, that there's some kind of parallels to the church, don't you think? That we're on a mission to change people's lives. We're on a mission to make a difference in people's lives. We are wanting to be able to breathe life. We're wanting to be the light. We're wanting to be the love. We're wanting to be the length. We're wanting to be the life. That's what we proclaim as a church. Yet I can't. That in the process of trying to rescue, sometimes we run people over. That sometimes there are casualties that happen within the church body. Can you relate to that? 
You know, I, I have had, as a pastor for over a number of decades, had people, oh, you're the pastor. Pastor, let me tell you about the church. And I know most of the time it's not going to be a good story. And the truth of the matter is that I know, and I can list off a number of names of people who are casualties in the church. Can you? As you look and as you think through things, can you think of individuals who once were here but weren't here because of perhaps something someone had done? Or maybe you are here and you are the casualty. Maybe you have been the one that was run over. And uh, I hate casualties of the church. What can I do to reduce casualties? And so if I could be just a little bit transparent, if I could kind of share from my heart, I always share from my heart, but for some reason I just, you know how sometimes you just kind of have a point where you say, I, I just want to bear my soul. Uh, I was going to um, label or title this um, sermon, uh, Confessions of a Confused Pastor. <laughs> but as I... But as I thought about it, I don't know if I'm confused, but I'm probably a little bit reflective. And it all stems from this. And this thinking has invaded my life over the last year or two, and it all stems from the fact that I'm getting older. I know that you probably don't realize that by this young, strong body of mine. But it's true. And I came to the realization that I had stopped going to church over 30 years ago. It's not that I hated the church. I love the church. But the problem is, I'm actually going to church. You understand what I'm saying? So I have not really gone to church for like 34 or 35 years. And so, because I have worked every Sunday... Uh, it's been difficult to do so, but as I all of a sudden kind of hit the mid-50s, I realized that, that you know, this, this job and, and, you know, I'm going to be ending a time where this job is going to be over, and finally, I am actually going to be go, able to actually go to church. And so I started asking myself questions. So what, what kind of church are you going to go to when you actually start going to church? And, and what are you going to do? And, and what is it that you are looking for? And what part am I going to play in this whole process? And, and, and I'm not too sure of all the answers, but I do have some things that I definitely have on my list. That when I start going to church, I don't want to go to a church that caters to my age. I don't want to go to a church that ministers to people in their late 50s and 60s. And it's not that they don't matter. It's not that I don't matter. It's just that I think it's important to understand that God is wanting to do a work, and if we're continually working at the level of where people are, then you never, ever reach the people who need to be reached. Does that make sense to you? I don't even know if I want to go to church that caters to me. I'm already going to heaven. Really, I am. I'm already going to heaven. And so these things kind of plague my thinking. You know, I want to go to a church that thinks about the next generation. There's a, there's a famous um, thing that says the church is always only one generation from extinction. It's true. You need to continually put 
a lot of your resources in trying to reach our children and our grandchildren. And, and for those of us who are in our senior ages, the thought is this. I want to see my grandkids in heaven. I want to see my grandchildren make it to heaven. That's an important thing. I'm sure for you it is an important thing if you stand here or you're sitting here and you're in, in your senior years. So, you know, I want to do a, a job that directly serves people. I have heard tons of sermons. Unfortunately, they've all been mine. But I've heard enough. I've heard a lot of them. I'd like to do something enough. And I want to be able to think that that I will serve God even to my last days. I want to die serving Jesus. I'd like to be a hundred and That's right. Bulletins are having a comeback. I'm just telling you right now. You see, the thing is this. I love Jesus with all of my heart. And if I love Jesus with all of my heart, that means I love the church as well. You see, you can't love Jesus and not love the church. If you have a lot of time spending Jesus and not loving the church, there will always be a disconnect in your life. It will always be there, whether you try or not. And, and if you're kind of just connected to a whole bunch of churches, or if you're just kind of going to, to a church that's, that's, uh, that's not there, but not physically going to a church, then you miss out on the whole aspect. If you love Jesus, you'll love the church. And the difficulty is this, that one of those two is absolutely perfect and forgiving and loving and graceful, and the other one is not as much so, Right? And they create casualties. And you don't have to look. You don't have to look at the, at the grumpy old man who insists on sitting in the same seat every Sunday. Or the rebellious kid or the, or the stingy board member or whoever it is. You don't have to look past yourself and me. Because that's what the church is made of. People like you and me, that don't quite have it all together yet. Amen? You ever see those people? You ever see those people who, I, I just call them envelope people. Something's happened, they realize someone's going through, through a hard time, and they say, Pastor, can you give this envelope to this individual? Or they'll just give an envelope to them, shake them and shake their hands, and at a time when they're at their worst, they're just generous. Generous with their time, generous with their resources. The truth of the matter is, as a pastor, I've seen lots of bad, and I've seen a whole lot of good. And so when I start going to church, I want to be the good one. And as you look and sit here in church this morning, you know, you know of either side. You have to choose, am I going to be one of the, the ones that are the problem, or, or am I going to be one of the good ones? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. kind of reminded me of a story fantastic sermon made by a fellow named John Piper. And as he's talking to a whole field full of young leaders, he has two articles. And the one article is of two 80-year-old ladies who are missionaries, and I think it was Cameroon. And, and in, in traveling from one village to another, their brakes went out as they were going down a mountain, and boom, they died instantly. And he says, boy, that sounds like a tragedy. And then he, he he tells another story that he read in, I think it was Reader's Digest, of another couple that, that retired early, retired in their 50s, and they moved down to Florida, and they bought a boat, and they cruised all the areas, and they spent all their time collecting seashells. And he said, really, what is the worst tragedy? It's the tragedy of these people who devoted their life to Jesus their whole life and all of a sudden died and go into glory, 
Or is it for those people in perhaps the most advantageous time of their life, the last days before they go to meet Jesus, they just sit there and cruise the seas, collecting seashells. And he said, when you get to heaven and God says, so what have you done for your life? And what have you done in the last days of your life? All you can do is show God your seashells. And I'm thinking to myself, God, God, I don't want to show God seashells. I want to make a difference. Does that resonate with you? Do you understand where my heart is as I go through all of these things? And I have found that there is powerful things in the simple things that we do. That it's not a difficult process. And so my sermon series, and I'm not too sure if it's all developed in my head or whatever, but it's called this, KISS. K-I-S-S. And we... I changed it a little bit. It requires us to rethink religion. It requires us to take a little bit closer to look at where we are. And if you want somebody to talk to you about simple things, James is the guy to go to. And James uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 say a lot about this. And um, uh, James, you know, he had the opportunity to say, hey, listen, I'm the Lord's brother. You do is that whatever I say. He never ever did that. He said, James is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so he has a lot of things to say on a practical matter and things about practical faith. And so I thought I would read the last two verses of chapter one of James' epistle. It says this, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. And then 27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Kind of interesting. The whole context of this particular passage, you kind of have to go back to verse 19 where Jesus begins to talk about the fact you actually need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And he gives an illustration about a man looking at a mirror, forgetting what he was, but looking into the perfect law of liberty is what he calls it. That gives freedom that will take you to a point where your religion is something that will be valuable. And this is kind of what he comes from. And, and I would imagine James, who was the very first pastor of the church in Jerusalem, has had seen his son, his, after re- writing this book, or before writing this book, had seen a whole lot of toxic religion and um, hostile religion. And we shy away from the word religion, but religion actually means You know, it's best described as how we respond to God. How you respond to God is actually what your religion is. Um, I wanted to express three biblical X factors that make the church and make you casualty free. And I think that that's an important thing today as we we look at at the church. The The first one is this. Pure faith extends beyond words. It is something that is... More to do with doing than saying. It is more hands and feet oriented than perhaps mouth oriented. As a matter of fact, James goes as far as to say is this. If you have words and you can't control those words, your religion, your faith is absolutely useless. And he says this not just once. He says this throughout the book. He's the one who says this. 
Faith without works is dead. The book of James was almost not put in the canon of Scripture based on his, his um, insistence on this fact. He says, and basically what he was saying is you do have a, have a faith, but there has to be a fruit that is produced from the faith. Otherwise, that's not faith at all. He also says in another part of the book of James is this. Hey, if there's a guy who comes into your church and, and he's naked and destitute of daily food and, and what you basically say is God bless you, be warmed and filled. He says, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful for the body. What's the prophet? He rants on this. He goes again and again talking about that. And, and again, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It, and um, the most precious thing about our faith will not be exhibited in what we say. It will be in what we do. And for those of you who have trouble articulating faith to friends in nature, witnessing to your friends and your neighbors. This is very liberating. This is something which is great. You want to be a witness in your neighborhood? Find the neighbor who needs the driveway shoveled. Find the person who is in need. Go fill that need. Do whatever you can to be kind. And they will fill in the dots. The conversation will come naturally when they see the fact that you're just doing something for nothing. That's a wonderful thing when we stop and consider it. And stop and think about this. Think about the people who have most impacted you in your journey with Christ. I don't know exactly the situation you're thinking of or the people that you are thinking of, but chances are it was not something that they said. It was something that they did. Pure faith extends beyond words. Here's the other thing. Pure faith expects nothing back. Basically, what he is saying there is it does not seek attention and it does not like the limelight, but it's more than that. If you notice, he talks about widows and he talks about orphans. And these were people who could not pay them back. It wasn't a situation where you extend kindness and grace to them and somewhere down the road, they will be able to somehow reciprocate that kindness back. It was a situation where that was absolutely impossible. And James knows all about this. If I go rewind you back to Acts chapter 6, one of the biggest bumps in the road at the early church was this, was that the widows were neglected. A particular type of widows. And so here it comes up again as James begins to talk about the fatherless and the widows. He knows exactly what he was talking about. In Jerusalem, this was happening all the time. This was something that he had a first-hand knowledge about. And it wasn't something that appeared to be outside the public eyes. It wasn't something that you weren't going to get no, you were going to get no, notoriety back. And it would not bring back much of a return. In other words, it was a bad investment. Should I invest in that person? Well, they can't pay me back. Nobody's going to know. And what James is saying is, those are the people that you should pursue. Because as individuals, we are always looking for a return on our investment. And it's not just financially, it is also relationally. I'm going to go into this relationship, and I'm going to help them, but I'm kind of hoping that they help me back. James, or James says, in God's economy... You throw self-agenda out the window and you just simply serve people and don't look at it. You actually should look for the bad investment. 
Pure faith extends beyond words. Pure faith expects nothing back. Pure faith exercises self-denial. Oh, don't bring that word up, self-denial, pastor. Now it's starting to get into the greediness of things. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. That was the term that, that James had used. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Well, what exactly does that mean? It is the drive to please Jesus in your life, and it's reflected in moral living that runs in opposition to the world. It is unpopular living because you want to be pure. It is about personal repentance and a determination to avoid sin, to avoid error in your life. It is living in this world but not being tainted or, by, or being dirtied by the word. It is living counterculture. It is not getting caught up in the culture of sin. And that's not so easy, particularly in today's days and age, because within our culture, there is a cesspool, which is a river. And if you somehow begin to wade into it, you can be swept away. W5, the, uh, the news article, I believe, is on CBC, and they do investigative reports, had a report about uh, the largest porn website in the world, which is based in Montreal. I believe it's called Pornhub. And what they found out was that they had to remove 600,000 images and videos of people who they knew were either underage or were absolutely unaware that the video was being taken of them. And they were going to do absolutely nothing about it until all of a sudden the New York Post ran an article on it. And when the New York Post ran an article on it, Visa and MasterCard said, we are no longer supporting you until you clean up your act. And they did. And they had to, they had to eliminate these, these 600,000 images and videos. Beside that, they had to remove, and I'm not too sure of the exact number, but I think it was 9 million videos and images where they were unsure they didn't even know. Nine million. Like how many videos and images do these people have? Like we live in a culture of sin where it is so easy to be swept away. And when James talks about being unspotted, he uses the Greek word as aspelos. There's three references of the aspelos in the New Testament. The other two have to do with a lamb without, that is unblemished, unspotted. They use the same term. And what James in essence is saying is, don't let sin put a stain on your garment that is so deep that you can't get it out. Right? You ever have a new garment, something brand new? You know, something beautiful? And people love this orange shirt. Pastor Mike, you just reflect the harvest with that shirt. It's so wonderful. I wish I could find one like it. And if I could, I would wear this orange shirt every Sunday. That and the red one, of course. You know, it goes about but if someone came up to me and said, Pastor Mike, that is a wonderful shirt. You know, I just so appreciate everything you do. As a matter of fact, I've just been making up some hot dogs, and, and I have one for you. You know, and I want you to have this hot dog. You know, it's, it's not too bad. I put a little bit too much mustard on it and way too much chili on it. And I have a drink of grape juice here. And grape juice is wonderful, but I think that there's kind of a hole in the bottom of the cup. But congratulations. God bless you. I want you to eat it. Right? And so here I am standing with this hot dog, which has way too much mustard on it, a whole lot of chili on it, already dripping onto my hands. 
And as I hold the cup here, I'm kind of holding it tough, tight so that the, the, the grape juice doesn't drink. And, and so what I do is I, well, why don't you sit down, Pastor Mike? Well, no, I, really just, I want to stand and eat this one. If it's okay, can I eat it over sink, please? And so you're, you're biting into it and you're, you're leaning forward because you don't want, or I don't want, chili or mustard or grape drink to dribble onto this wonderful outfit that I know everybody wants. And it's kind of funny. That's what our faith is like. Don't let, the, don't let the world stain itself. Don't get so close to the world. Behave in a matter so that it doesn't stain you. You know, to remain unspotted. You know, don't let it spill onto your shirt. It's funny how the world can spill onto you. It's funny how the world's philosophy can spill onto you. It's funny how the world's carnality can spill onto you. And, and stuff that you thought was sin years ago doesn't seem like sin anymore. And things that, that is sin that you know is sin doesn't seem as serious as it was before. And we have an overemphasis on the love and grace of God. And we need to understand the love and grace of God. But we can't... Stand on love and grace so much that eventually we become numb to the carnage that sin has if it remains in our life. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Don't let sin pour on to those people around you. Like, come on. You don't think the sin that is unrepented in your life doesn't spill into those people around you? Seriously? That there's, there's ongoing things that you haven't surrounded, surrendered to Jesus and you haven't gotten other people to help you with. You don't think that that was going to go on to the next generation, to your children, or whatever. I like Psalm chapter 24. I know we all know Psalm chapter 23. But if you read Psalm chapter 24, I think I've got it on here. It says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord. There's something about doing everything we can to live right, to live pure. There's a, a blessing to it. There is an anointing to it. And there is an absolute powerful witness to it. Pure religion in, in James' eyes, is different from what we equate. And, and here's the thing. You may think that this unspotted from the world thing is just superficial and not really effective. But when we don't live that out, that's when casualties, casual, casualties actually happen. When there are casualties, what has happened is people's stain is exposed. That's why this is such an important thing. And that's why James says this. What is your response to God? You know, you love Jesus. How's that come out? How's it lived out? Really, it's an important question to ask. I'm looking to be casualty free. How can it not be when we practice religion the way he tells us true, the way it's intended? And I think we have all been casualties. I think that you have been a casualty by false faith or overzealous faith or unbiblical faith. And as a pastor, I can tell you that I have been a victim of it. So why do you keep doing it? Well, despite the fact that there have been casualties and things that I have seen and I have been a casualty, there are far too many good stories of people who have passionately loved Jesus and have shown it to me.
Because I love the church. And God does great things when it works well. Amen? You got to be part of that. I choose to look at those people who have affected my life in a positive way. As our kids were growing up, one thing that we did do, and I think we subconsciously did it, is that as our kids were going into church and, and going into church life, we focused on those people who were really living like Jesus, and we showed it to our kids that, that we have had so many really good models of people who just absolutely loved Jesus And in their most influential years of their lives, there were people who poured into them and showed them love and just showed them what it was like to actually serve Jesus. And let me just remind you that the initial years of my kids' lives were in this church. That the greatest influence, or amongst the greatest influence that my kids had at their youngest years were from people in this congregation who are still in this congregation, who just acted out and showed love and were giving and were generous and loving And so what I did is I said, look at those people. Well, did they see the bad? Yeah, they saw the bad. We didn't emphasize the bad. We showed them the good. And as a result, I think God was able to do something uh, uh, in their lives. You know, I just want to serve Jesus. I just want to make it real. You know what I mean? I got one more story. Do you have time for one more story? Um, There are a few times where Canadian history and American history intersect. One of them has to do, you know, 150 or so years ago when slavery was so apparent and it was such a big thing that eventually there was a war, a bloody war, that caused the liberation from that. But in that time, there were black slaves who were beaten and abused and raped and taken advantage of, that were able to escape through what was called the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad ended in Canada. And so there were people who had escaped, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't all party and, and beautiful things for the black, the black uh, slaves at that time. There were still problems that they had, but was far, far from the, from the terrible treatment that they'd had from, from the owners and the slave, the slave traders uh, in the South. But here's something that had taken place that oftentimes we don't even recognize that made it free. And they celebrated the freedom. Oh, so wonderful to be free. But there were another group that were free and celebrated their freedom. But all of a sudden there was a point where their freedom stopped. And they looked back and they said, there's still people who are in slavery. I got to do something, even though I am freed from slavery, to help also free those people who are still enslaved. And you see in history books, people like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, who who were once slaves and were free, that all of a sudden began to risk their life to go and pull out other people to be free. As a matter of fact, I don't know if that would have happened if they weren't part of the equation. And I think about us as Christians who have been freed from sin. Thank God that Jesus came and saved me when I was at my worst. When I did not deserve it, God came. The whole gospel is centered around this, that God is love, but I am a sinner and I could do nothing about my sin. And in order to know Jesus, I have to have Jesus come and take that sin 
away. And then I live for him and I become free and I become free. Hallelujah, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Thank God, I'm free. But is there not a time that after we have enjoyed the freedom that perhaps we look back? Is there a time when we look back you say, I need to be doing something about the people who are in slavery. Just saying. Just saying. Pure religion causes no casualties. It just loves people and doesn't get anything back. God, help us to be a church and help us to be individuals who do the same. I just want to say that I love you with all of my heart and I desire to serve you with all of my heart and I want this congregation to love you and serve you with all of their heart. And Father, I pray that uh, we just continue to work to be casualty free. I pray, Father, that, uh, that, that we won't be a church that will be content on picking up seashells. <laughs> But the God, we just run the whole time. The God, you just move. And that the power of God moves in our midst. And that only happens as the Spirit of God moves and as we're obedient to the Word of God. And I just pray you'll be lifted up. Challenge us today, God. Challenge us with your Word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. 